0: Life is a highway, at least that's what they say, but for many of us, it's not a smooth highway, it's more of a rocky trail, full of obstacles, dangers, unexpected twists and turns. Driving down a road like that wears you out, and living your life on a, on a windy, rocking road full of unexpected twists will wear you out too, just when you think you've recovered from one problem, two more pop up, you're exhausted, you wish you could just find a highway hit cruise control, and relax. Earlier this week, I was over in Seattle, and in driving home, in the evening, you tend to share the road with a lot of trucks. And normally, that's not a great thing, but in our case, one of our kids is really fascinated with trucks, so it really helped pass the time uh, on the journey home. And and we saw all kinds of trucks as we drove. Uh, Big semi-trucks, smaller work vehicles, lots of flatbed trucks hauling all kinds of objects. And the flatbed trucks, to me, are the most interesting they're interesting because they have a lot to teach us, uh, because they're called flatbed trucks, but did you ever notice they're not actually flat? If you look carefully, flatbed trucks have a little bit of a, a curve, a little arc to them. They're, they're bent upwards just a little bit, and there's a very simple reason for that. They're built to bear heavy loads. They have this slight upward bend so that when you apply all the weight and pressure, they go flat rather than And buckling under all that weight. Truck couldn't work if it sagged under the weight of that load. So it has to end up flat. So it starts with a nice slight arch. Well, the same thing is true for you and me. If we're just flat, if we're just getting by, then when the weight and stress and pressure come, we'll just buckle. We need to find ways to build ourselves up a little bit, to to become overdeveloped in the right areas so that whatever life might throw at us, we don't buckle under the weight and the strain of it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, how we can develop ourselves spiritually, how we build ourselves up in a way that we can handle the weight that's piled on us. I know you've got weight on your shoulders. I know you're carrying a heavy load. I think we'd be shocked, some of us, to learn the different loads that different people are carrying. But God has given us each other. He's given us each other so that we can journey down the highway together. And the highway analogy is actually a perfect introduction to our passage this morning. It's perfect because the passage includes a highway analogy of its own. And, of course, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. If you were here last week, you heard Nate preach a fantastic message on Hebrews 11. If you didn't hear that, I encourage you to listen online. But uh, since we heard about Hebrews 11 last week, that means we're in... Hebrews 12, this week, I'd love for you to open up your Bibles. And, and I want to start by sharing just some of the, the context. Hebrews 12 begins with this analogy about running a race. That's how you navigate a highway back before the invention of flatbed trucks, right, on foot. And, and it starts off with this well-known passage about running With endurance, the race set before us. It talks about keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And you'll recall throughout this book, throughout this series, we've been looking over and over at the example of Jesus. That's how the chapter starts off, encouraging us to keep our eyes on him, to follow his example in the way he ran his race. The author of Hebrews tells us, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our example. When we face hard times, when we're under pressure, the weight of the world has been loaded on us, we don't have to buckle we don't have to cave in. We could keep running down the road because Jesus Himself endured. He had developed Himself in the right ways to be able to handle the heavy burden of our sin. So the beginning of chapter twelve talks all about Jesus' ability to endure as an example for us. And the next section of chapter twelve talks about Jesus' ability, uh, or talks about discipline. Excuse me. Again, looking to the example of Christ who suffered, who was weighed down with sin, and yet was loved as a son of God. So not all the difficulty in our lives is punishment. But discipline, difficulty, that's something that God uses in our life to help us grow and to make us more like Christ. And that can be very painful. In fact, the author of Hebrews ends that section by saying this, verse 11. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is hard. Like placing a huge load on a flatbed truck, everything in us wants to just buckle under the weight, to to cave into the pressure. But if we instead keep our focus on Jesus, we can endure the same way that he did. And we can see fruit in our lives the same way that he did. And all of this leads to the highway analogy that I promised you. This is the section I want us to focus on today. Look with me at Hebrews 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. So the the imagery in this chapter is so rich, let's not skip over it too quickly. Tired hands and and weak knees, these are the signs that we have been struggling under intense weight. We're we're weak from holding all this weight. Our knees are dislocated from navigating the rough terrain while burdened by all this weight and pressure. So we need some help. We need strength. That's a start. And we need a straight path, a, a highway, if you will. It's no use if our knees are strengthened only to keep walking on a rocky, uneven pathway. We need a straight, smooth path. Because a winding path, it, it avoids rather than confronts all the real difficulties. We've got to work extra hard to, to uh, get where we're going with switchbacks and detours, all that kind of a thing. We need a straight path. A path that has been specifically prepared with some effort. It's a highway that gives us the best way to go, the best path for our journey. The path that brings healing, just like the passage says. And this author of Hebrews, he loves to quote the Old Testament. And the idea of a straight path comes right out of Isaiah. Isaiah 35 tells God's people about this highway that they'll travel as they return to the Lord after a time of difficulty. God's people have been struggling. They've been struggling to carry that heavy load. They've been ready to just buckle under the pressure, just to give up. But Isaiah has good news for them. He tells them that the Messiah is coming. That he will save them. And the passage goes on to talk about what will happen when the Messiah comes. It says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert." This is one of the reasons Jesus healed blind people and, and mute people while he was on earth. I mean, he had compassion on them. That's one reason. But, but also, these healings were just a, a sign, just like this passage indicates, a sign that he was the Messiah, the promised one to come. He healed the blind and lame and the deaf and the mute as a sign to people. So Isaiah gives these signs, this evidence that God is with his people. And then he goes on to talk about this, this pathway that they will take that leads right into his presence. The passage goes on to say this, A road will be there and a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there. No vicious beast will go up on it. They won't be found there. But the redeemed will walk on it, and the ransomed of Yahweh will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. It's a great picture of life On the highway, smooth sailing, no unexpected curves or danger, just gliding down the highway. No tired hands, no weak knees, nothing to worry about because God has made a straight path. He smoothed out all the obstacles and the highway leads right to the very presence of God, to Zion, his own dwelling place. And that's the idea that this author of Hebrews is getting at. He knows we've all been like overworked, worn-out, flatbed trucks, loaded down with worries and challenges and pressure. He knows our hands are tired and our knees are weak. So he reminds us that God made a straight path. God has made a smooth highway. And this morning, I want us to learn how we can strengthen ourselves for that journey, how we can become like those flatbed trucks that are overprepared for the weight that they'll carry. And I want to talk about three ways that we strengthen ourselves, ready ourselves for the journey, three things that we need to pursue in order to build ourselves up. First, we pursue peace with everyone. And then we pursue holiness for ourselves. And third, we pursue grace for others. Let's understand these three things to pursue. First, we pursue peace with everyone. Look at the very next part of Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. This is the first way we can strengthen ourselves. We pursue peace. And that sounds so sweet, even cute, but that's really hard. Pursuing peace is not easy. We might feel like we have peace with God, but we don't always have peace with other people. And, and Jesus himself, he warned us that the world would hate us if we followed him. Because the world tells us it's a dog-eat-dog world, and puppies just don't make it. One of the things about driving the highway at night is that you share the road with a lot of trucks, and those truck drivers can get a little bit aggressive. They got places to go, and you're just a little obstacle in their path, Right? The world tells us, fight back and and claw your way to the top, but that's not life on God's highway. God's way tells us, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God's way tells us to turn the other cheek. God's way tells us, whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. God's way tells us to pursue peace. That's the first way that we build ourselves up. There's a moment in The Lord of the Rings, the the Fellowship of the Ring, in which the God fearing elves and God fearing dwarves decide to join forces in their fight against the Dark Lord. If you've never read the book, that sounds really weird. But elves and dwarves, they come together to fight the Dark dark Lord. And uh, almost immediately, they begin to fight amongst themselves. They're quarreling and they're calling down curses on each other. And then one wise observer, he says, Indeed, in nothing is the power of the dark Lord more clearly shown than the estrangement of those who still oppose him. He said, their lack of peace with each other allows evil to thrive. We need to pursue peace with each other. Conflict with each other only brings glory to Satan. Now, pursuing peace, that doesn't mean that we give up peace at any cost. It doesn't mean we become doormats, letting people walk all over us. Now, the call to peace, it comes right alongside this call to pursue holiness. So there has to be some limits. Peace must come within the, the confines of what's right and what's holy. So we don't just roll over and let people walk on us or let people get away with terrible, ungodly things in the name of making peace. Now, we pursue peace peace. Even that phrase tells us we can see ultimately peace is not up to us. We pursue peace, but God is the only one who can actually bring peace. We have to trust him. We're not called to achieve peace because it's not up to us. We're just pursuing it. So we're not just keeping the peace. We're not wearing ourselves out trying to achieve peace. Trying to do that would just make us buckle under the weight of people's expectations and agendas. No. We pursue peace which involves trusting God to deliver it. That's the way we build up our faith in him, our trust in him, our dependence on him, so that he can help us bear the pressures of life. It's a matter of obedience over the outcome. So we pursue peace, and we partner with God to do that, not trying to do it on our own. That makes it feel like less of a burden and more like something we can actually accomplish. But there's more to this first call. We're to pursue peace, but notice the rest of this command. Pursue peace with everyone. We don't get to pick and choose who we pursue peace with. We have to strive for peace with everyone, not just those we're comfortable with, not just those that are already in our own circles, uh, everyone. Recently, some of our growth groups have been doing just this. Some of our groups realize they need better relationships with uh, others in our faith family, especially people from different generations, folks they don't normally or naturally cross paths with. So they've had some dinners together, a couple of different groups of young people and Less young people getting together and and, and getting to know each other. And that's been great. It's been a great way to pursue peace, just getting stronger relationships so that we can start to bear one another's burdens. I came across a great article uh, not that long ago. The headline says, Right now, outrage is winning the day, but if outrage wins, we all lose. The article goes on to talk about the way our culture is right now. It says, Turn on just about any news channel, engage in just about any serious conversation, or read almost any blog post today, and within 15 minutes, someone will tell you what they're outraged about. Unfortunately, while outrage is good at hype, what our world really needs is hope, and hope does not come from outrage. The article goes on to talk about how people want to see change, we want to see things different, we want things to be better, but we don't know how to make change. We're all buckling under the weight that we carry, we don't know what to do about it. Well, one thing to do is this, pursue peace with everyone. See, Jesus, he's known as the Prince of Peace, and as his people... We should be known for peace as well. I think one of the great tragedies in our culture right now is how Christianity is known just for what we fight against. We fight against the culture rather than leading with love. We fight against each other rather than modeling radical grace and acceptance. I mean, think about it. All the the buzzwords that our culture claims to be focused on, acceptance, love, peace, grace, everybody's looking for those things. And they should be found right here. I mean, Jesus has cornered the market on all the things that people are so desperately looking for. But the church has a long history of pushing people away, not inviting them in to find real peace. But we should be people who are so swelled up with peace that we can pursue it wholeheartedly with everybody, knowing that God will provide and will never buckle under the strain. So that's the first challenge for us, the first way we can build ourselves up, to pursue peace with everyone. And the second way is by pursuing holiness. We pursue holiness, meaning we strive to become more and more like Christ. And we need another good qualifier here, because pursuing holiness, it doesn't mean we're sinless. We'll never be totally sinless until Christ returns or until we die. But it means we're pursuing holiness. We're fighting sin. A few weeks ago in this series, we talked about what it means to pursue holiness here at Trinity. We talked about our own model of spiritual growth, how we take the, the things that God has given us, the, the, the good things, but also the, the weighty things that we're carrying, all those things, how we take them and let them show up in our lives as spiritual growth, as holiness. We talked about the three investments, investing our our Sunday mornings here, worshiping together, attending an adult Bible class, or we talked about serving in a ministry, connecting to a growth group, all those things. We talked about how those three investments help us grow in the four lifelong practices, pursuing, renewing, living, and giving, pursuing God through holy habits, renewing your mind, uh, living a transformed life, and giving away your time, your faith, and your money. And as we grow in those ways, as we continue to pursue holiness, then we're building ourselves up in faith, knowing that God will journey with us, making our path straight. And let me just tell you about one great way you can pursue holiness. Coming up here in just a couple of weeks, November 3rd, uh, we'll have some baptisms. Uh, we're going to celebrate some baptisms. If you've never been baptized, that's a huge step in pursuing holiness, following Jesus' own example of being baptized. If you would like to be baptized or if you just want to get some more information about that, then I'd love for you to mark your highlight card, and we'll uh, follow up with you on that. There's a third way that we could build ourselves up, a third thing we pursue. We pursue peace with everyone, we pursue holiness for ourselves, and we pursue grace for for others. We pursue grace. Look at verse 15. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. This passage tells us we should pursue grace for others. And grace, in this instance, is just shorthand for all the benefits that God gives us, all the good things. Grace is the the green pasture where God wants his sheep to graze, not the the narrow, fenced-off holding pen that we like to try to box people into. If we don't offer, if we don't take advantage of the good things that God wants for us, then we get exactly what this passage tells us. We get a root of bitterness that grows and causes trouble. We all know that person, that person who's been in church all their life, but still somehow is, is bitter and miserable to be around, right? I mean, if you don't know that person, you might be that person that we're all thinking of right now. But, but we can all fall prey to bitterness. And it happens when we fail to, to see and to take advantage of God's grace, of the, the joy and the blessings that God wants to just shower us with. This, this passage, this whole chapter, is so full of beautiful images, of, of powerful word pictures. I can just see this image of God with a big picture full of grace, a big picture of good things for you and for me, and he's just tilting his hand and pouring it on us. The, the book of James talks about God giving us greater grace. Uh, literally, it says, mega grace. Mega grace. It's like God went down to the 7 and got the super extra size big gulp, gallon-and-a-half container of grace, and he's just given it to you. But this passage says that, that we have the responsibility to make sure that no one falls short of grace. We have to make sure that everybody gets their big gulp worth of grace and blessings. But all too often, we don't do that. We just want to hand out little shot uh, glass-sized containers of grace. We're like the the older brother in the prodigal son's story, hoarding all the good stuff for ourselves and just feeding hors d'oeuvres to everybody else. But remember the father in the prodigal son's story. He runs out to meet the prodigal son. He kills the fattened calf. He gives him all the best. What would our valley look like if That was the message, the kind of reception that people got from the church. If it wasn't a message of being hosed down with harsh judgmentalism, but instead was just a big bath of grace. Hey, have another big gulp. We got an unending supply where that came from, right? Imagine how this valley would be different if we all just tipped the scales more towards grace. But all too often we let bitterness take root. We let it color the way that we relate to God, and then we let it color the way we relate to other people about God. So the end result is we're just paralyzed in our ability to make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. I heard of a survey that asked a bunch of Christians what they believed God thought about them. What was the emotion that God feels towards Christians? It's a good question. And you know what the survey revealed? It was shocking, to be honest. The majority of people who responded to the survey, they basically said, when God thinks about me, the overwhelming feeling he has is disappointment. Disappointment. Can you believe that? After all the the sermons and songs and devotions and bumper stickers and Bible passages we read about God's love, we still think he's disappointed with us. That's terrible. We've let bitterness take root. And it not only hurts us, It hurts others. If we think God's disappointed with us, then why would we bother to show grace to other people? But we've already learned from the book of Hebrews that God has perfected us. He's not disappointed. It's just the opposite. God wants to share that love and that joy, the same love and joy that the the father has when he runs out to meet the prodigal son. He wants to shower that same love and joy on us and on everybody. Remember, on this highway, God had made a straight path that leads right to him. He's taken away every obstacle. He doesn't want our bitterness to become one more bump in the road. But if we're not careful, we'll we'll miss the straight path that God has. We just focus on the the pressure weighing us down. We miss the destination altogether. There's a couple of very common ways that we miss grace, that we put obstacles in our own path. One of the things we do is we deprive ourselves of God's word. When we fail to engage God's word, the Bible, it's as if we're, we're putting our hand up, blocking that cup of grace that God wants to, to pour out on us. But God uses his word to just bathe us in his presence, helping us realize he's not disappointed with us. He loves us. He loves everybody. Another big way we miss this grace is we deprive ourselves of God's people. Nobody should have to journey down the road alone. We all need each other. But when we fail to come to church or when we fail to engage in relationships with our fellow believers, then we're denying ourselves a big piece of how God wants to bless us. He blesses us through each other. So failing to engage other believers, failing to engage God's word, that's all too common ways that we miss the grace God wants to just shower us with. It leads us to one more thing we need to say about this third way, about pursuing grace. Look at the passage again, verse 15. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. This, this word that's translated, make sure, it's the word for oversight. We, we oversee others to make sure that they get the grace that they have coming to them. And one of the reasons that we need, each other. But this word oversight, it's the same root word for uh, elders, for church leaders, overseers. So there's a sense that, that, that part of the work of elders in the church is to make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. Elders are spiritual leaders of the church. That's part of the reason that, that nominating elders is such an important task for us right now. They have a, a dramatic effect on the culture of the church, uh, creating a culture of grace and truth. But there's something else about this word, about this command to make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. It's, it's a plural command. It's not just limited to church leaders, it's for all of us. We all sink or swim together. It, it's, it's all y'all make sure that none of y'all fall short of the grace of God. We all have the responsibility to see to each other. We're all involved in this work. So these are three ways that we can build each other up, build ourselves up, build each other up. We pursue peace for everyone, we pursue holiness for ourselves, we pursue grace for others. And this leads us to the warning. As we have journeyed through the book of Hebrews, we've seen several warnings. Uh, The author structures his message around these warnings. What dangers do we face if we fail to pursue these three things? And the warning comes in verse 25. Take a look. See to it, That you do not reject the one who speaks. This is the danger of denial. If we don't work together to build up our own flatbed trucks, then we run the risk of just buckling under the weight. We deny the one who speaks. That's God himself. We go through our life on our own, removing ourselves from the blessing of his word, the blessings of being with his people. We reject the thought that God has any ability or even desire to help us to straighten our path, to lighten our load. We face the danger of denial. We look at our heavy load and instead of turning to each other, instead of turning to God, instead of pursuing peace and holiness and grace, we just deny, we turn away. And the result is that we just buckle under the strain of trying to do it all on our own. We started this morning talking about a highway, and this warning passage goes on to talk about the fact that we're on a highway to God's kingdom, his kingdom that's unshakable, like we sang about earlier this morning. You can see it in verse 28. His kingdom that will never buckle or falter or fall. When the weight of the world is on us, when, when the pressure we, all the pressure we think we can handle comes at us, when unexpected twists and turns come from every direction, we can either turn away, we can deny His voice of grace and peace, or we could trust Him, trust in His unshakable kingdom. I told you this highway idea comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, And I want us to leave uh, with one more passage from Isaiah, one encouragement not to buckle under the strain. Isaiah 40 says this, Prepare the way of Yahweh in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill will be leveled, the uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of Yahweh will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Don't deny his voice. The mouth of the one true God has spoken. And he's made a pathway for us, a highway. And he's made a way for us to be strengthened by pursuing peace with everyone. Pursuing holiness for ourselves. And pursuing grace for others. Let's pray. God, we praise you that you have made a way for us, that you have made a way for us to not just be with you, but be with each other. That That's one of the big pieces of finding peace and finding grace and finding holiness in our own lives is depending on each other, depending on you and depending on each other. And that's what we want to be about. Even this week, Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to show grace to other people, to start to, to, to turn the culture the way that the culture views you and the church because uh, we want it to be, uh, we want to be a church that's, that's modeling radical grace and love, and we want to be a church that lets messy people in because we know that that's what you did for us. And so help us to be uh, those kinds of people for each other and for the world. And we know that that only comes as we pursue holiness in you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.